you got your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, and then Genesis chapter 47. We will continue our study of the life of Joseph, all right? 1 Corinthians 13 and Genesis chapter 47. Um, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever had a hopeless moment before? You ever had a hopeless moment before? Some of you are like, yes, that is the COVID era for me. I feel like every day just something weird happens or something strange happens, and I'm telling you, if your faith was in anything but Jesus at this point, it has been exposed now, right? I'm telling you, it just can, there's some of those days where it just seems like there's not enough money, there's not enough, I mean, you don't have faith in your job situation, things seem like they're on shaky ground or shaky footing, maybe in a relationship setting where it seems like things are on shaky ground. Those are very difficult days to be in, and there are a lot of those days going around in 2020. I wanted to share a story with you that started in hopelessness, but then the Lord provided for us in a powerful way, and that is the story of keyboard cats, all right? This right here is one of the, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, pillar of... Uh, 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 toys in our household, okay? There's a lot of toys that get thrown away or donated. Keyboard Cat has stood the test of time, and it's one of my favorite stories to tell, and my wife, Autumn, was the one who said, this fits the passage well. You gotta tell the Keyboard Cat story today. Uh, and then Jason Blacklock, if you're watching, thanks for bringing that story up again. So Keyboard Cat exists in our family because um, Keyboard Cat, you can buy him at any Target, all right, any of your local Target stores, uh, and uh, Keyboard Cat sits on the corner, uh, the main corner of the toy section in every Target that there is. And so you still pass by. You can still go buy Keyboard Cat today. Uh, but the Keyboard Cat was on sale for $19.99. Jack had wanted Keyboard Cat for over a year. And when Jack was three years old, my father's in the middle of dying of cancer. Um, we moved here to plant the church, but we left all of our family behind in Texas. And we're hoping that Waterfront will exist. Uh, but at this point, again, we, we, it's a hope at this point. I mean, we have some people that are showing up for services, but if you've ever started anything new before, you just don't know if people are gonna keep coming back. And so uh, with all of that going on and all that uncertainty, Autumn says, how about this? My wife, she says, how about we go buy Keyboard Cat for Jack today? $19.99. This can be a moment of hope for him. And so we pull up to Target. My family stays in the car. I go inside, and it's the last keyboard cat that they have. And we buy a keyboard cat, bring it back out to Jack, and I'll never forget, I mean, he is so excited, just off the charts excited. So he's sitting in the back. He's holding on to keyboard cat. We did not have Jack's autism diagnosis at that point, so we didn't know that this was a struggle for him. When he got really excited... Jack would vomit. And so what happens with poor Keyboard Cat is he gets so excited, and Jack had been drinking red Gatorade in the back of the car. And all of a sudden, Jack goes, and he throws up onto Keyboard Cat. Well, Keyboard Cat had been playing like music like literally for about 15 seconds. That was it. And then all of a sudden, he throws up on it. And what happens? The liquid gets on the circuit board, and Keyboard Cat stops playing. 15 seconds into the gift. And all of a sudden, all Jack knows is that it's not working anymore. And so he just starts screaming, just, ah, it's not working. And Autumn looks at me, and she's like, I know we're not those people, but can we just go buy another one? I mean, what can we do on this? And I was like, it was the last one. We don't have any money, and it was the last one. We can't even do that. And so we're sitting in the car, and he is screaming. Our other two kiddos are in the car at the time, and I mean, they're just having to deal with this situation. My dad's dying. You know, we've moved across the country. You got all this stuff. And so it all is simple and keyboard cat not working. And I remember I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, what are we supposed to do? 
What are we supposed to do? How's this supposed to work? And I'm telling you, this is bizarre. It pops into my head. Maybe you could fix it. So I look over at Jack and I go, Jack, I'm going to try to fix it. Well, he doesn't know what that means. And so he's still screaming. And at that point, I go, I'm going to try to fix it. He's screaming on the drive. Well, my wife looks over at me and she goes, you don't have a mechanical bone in your body. I mean, what do you mean you're going to fix this thing? I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to try. I got to do something. Have you ever felt that way before? I got to do something, so I'm going to try. So sure enough, I go home. You're going to love this. There's like 20 screws on the back of Keyboard Cat. I don't know why, but there's a whole bunch of screws on the back of Keyboard Cat, and it takes a very, very specific, small Phillips head screwdriver in order to get into the back of Keyboard Cat. So I sit down at our kitchen table, and we lived over here in the 100 Capital Yards. I set it down on our kitchen table, and I look over at Jack, who's still screaming at this point, and I go, I'm going to fix it. And so I sit down, and he stops screaming. He looks over, and I unscrew each one of the little screws, and then I get to see inside, and there's this circuit board and all these little wires going all these different places. And so I start to work on the inside of it, and I had an idea. You got the red Gatorade everywhere, and so I had the idea to get paper towels and to sop up the circuit board, and then I had this idea to get the hairdryer, and I thought I could use the hairdryer and kind of dry the circuit board that way and see if that works. Well, you can see over here on the side, he's got these different drum beats that he does, uh, the little keyboard cat. And so all of a sudden, I'm drying stuff off, and then all of a sudden, we hear, I mean, again, it's like a nightclub in the middle of our house. And all it takes is that one little noise. And then all of a sudden, Jack goes, it's working! He freaks out. It's this amazing moment, and so I start to work on it. There's still four or five keys that don't work on Keyboard Cat, and they never have since. Son looks over, and he'd been screaming and just yelling, and then he stopped, and he goes, you fixed it. You fixed it. You fixed it. And then even for the next year, anytime Jack would see Keyboard Cat or go to play with it, he would say, you fixed it. You fixed it. In fact, I think he actually, he fixed it. He fixed it. He fixed it. It was just the most beautiful picture. Now listen. It didn't go the way we thought it was going to go, okay? In fact, before that moment, it seemed like all hope was lost. But listen to me. It could still be good. There's some of you that need to remember the relationship, your job situation, your financial situation, life in general, COVID. It may not have gone the way that you had hoped it would go. But listen to me. In the hands of Almighty God, it can still be good. We have such a weird time right now because God has given us the ability to see what really matters in the middle of all the stuff we want, in the middle of all the plans we've made. And man, you can make plans in this city, can't you? In the middle of all that stuff, the Lord's will still prevails. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Here's what Paul has to write. And in this passage, Paul's been laying out what a church service is supposed to look like. And in the first verses, he says, basically, if you take away powerful preaching, if you take away amazing worship, if you take away uh, prayer and faith and uh, prayer and uh, a faith-driven ministry that moves mountains and uh, uh, the social justice aspects of ministry, if you take away all those things, look at what he says, verse 13. And now these three things remain, faith hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. What we find in this passage is Paul says there are certain things about this life that are good stuff, that's good stuff, but in the end, it's all going to burn. 
What are the things that remain? Paul says, faith in our God, hope in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and the love that we have for one another, those are the things that remain that cannot be taken away from us. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is a gift in a time of great loss to reassess the value of what remains. Let me say that again. It is a gift in a time of great loss to reassess the value of what remains. There are some of you who had your faith in some corporate ladder that you were going to be able to climb up and ascend powerfully so that you could rise up and and do these amazing things with your life, or you had your faith in this relationship, this person that you were going to date or that you were going to marry or or this person that was going to change your life, this networking relationship that was going to change your life, or you had faith again in a number in your bank account that when you reached that number that then you could finally say that you had arrived. And guess what happened? When the virus hit, all those plans went away. It doesn't mean that God's not going to bless you in some of those ways, but you've realized now that stuff is not important. It can be gone in an instant. We want to work for things that cannot be taken away from us. If you're taking notes, what remains when all seems lost? That's our big million dollar question today. What remains when all seems lost? We have a passage of scripture in Genesis 47 that addresses that very issue. Look with me, if you will, at Genesis 47, and we're going to start in verse 20, reading through the story of Joseph, and again, what the people do, the people of Egypt and the people of Canaan, and then Israel's family. What do they do when it seems like all has been lost? Now, if you'll remember the sermon from last week, remember there's a famine in the land, a massive pandemic that's taken place, and because of that, The people lose all their money in the beginning. Then they lose their oxen. They lose all their stuff the second round, the second year. And then the third year, they show up and they go, we don't have any money. We don't have any stuff to trade you at this point. And they go, all we have left is our land and our bodies. They look and they go, all we can offer to you is our servitude at this point. Now, the reason that's a big deal, land can't be just given away because the land is connected to their body. They can't provide for their bodies without having a land. It's an agricultural society. So they go to Pharaoh and they go, you're the only one with the food. We don't know what we can do here. Again, we didn't plan to have seven years of craziness, let alone, let alone three years of craziness at this point. They feel like they've lost everything. Now look at what happens in verse 20. It says, so Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's. Look at this. And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. Now stop there for just a minute. Remember, Joseph himself had been a slave. What we're about to find in the passage today is that Joseph negotiates a path for the people that does not look like common enslavement that was common during that time period. Joseph, because he knew how heavy it was to wear the bonds, he knew how difficult it was to walk that path. Joseph, as the one who's been through it himself, negotiates a wonderful path for them to still be able to experience some type of freedom. Look at what he does. This next verse, verse 22, starts that process. It says, however, he did not by the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment. Pharaoh gave them uh, that Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Stop right there for just a minute. This is not a commentary on church and state. What we find in verse 23 is Joseph saying, we may have your money, we may have your stuff, we may have your bodies in the very land that you stand on. But he says, I have negotiated a path so that your soul still belongs to you. 
He doesn't take the priest's lands. Joseph, understanding that when you feel like everything has been taken from you, even Joseph reminds the people at this point, your soul is still a matter between you and God. If you're taking notes, what remains when it seems like all is lost? Number one, first and foremost, eternity. Eternity remains when it seems like all is lost. Now, there are many people at this point that go, man, that's a really preachery thing to say, Zach. Just so you know, just because it's a preachery thing to say doesn't mean it's any less true. Your eternity is set through the debt down. Jesus Christ. Jesus has secured for us what was always out of reach. Write that down. Jesus has secured for us what was always out of reach. The shed blood of Jesus Christ secures our soul, forgives our sin, and that cannot be taken away from us no matter how deep, dark, and brutal this world becomes. It is hard to to miss the connection between Joseph and Jesus in this story where you have Joseph, again, stepping up for the people and standing in the gap for them so that they get a fair deal in this moment where they have nothing to trade in return is the symbol of what Jesus does for us. We couldn't get to God on our own. There's nothing we could ever do to earn God's favor and atone for our own sin or even the sin that we inherited but jesus thanks be to god took our place stepped up for us and he secured for us what was always out of reach there's no better example of that i think than the thief on the cross the thief on the cross is an example of each and every one of us remember jesus hangs in the middle nailed his hands and feet to the cross but on his left was a thief and on his right was another thief the thief on the left cries out to Jesus in mockery. He cries out, hey, if you are the son of God, then pull yourself down from here and get me down as well. If you have control of the angels, command them to pull us down from the cross with you. Prove it to us if you can. He cries out in mockery. And on the other side is a thief who has nothing to offer. It's symbolic of each one of us. That thief can't use his hands to serve Jesus. They're nailed to the cross. He can't use his feet to go where God calls him to go. They're nailed to the cross. He can't even use his mouth to proclaim Jesus because he has no integrity. He's a criminal being crucified for his sin. But in that moment, he claims Jesus. When the man cries out in mockery on Jesus' left, the man to his right cries out, hush your mouth. We deserve to be up here. He claims his sin. And then he looks at Jesus and says, you've done nothing wrong. Jesus, when you get to your kingdom... Will you just remember my name? It's at that point the Son of God powerfully says, today you will be with me in paradise. Basically, Jesus saying, I'll do one better. I won't just remember you. You will be with me, not because of anything you've done, but because of the sacrifice I've done on your behalf. When all seems lost, there is still Jesus. If you can't get that, then anything you value can still be taken away from you. It doesn't matter where you were born, how much money's in that bank account, or how much you feel like you're on the fast track to greatness. At the end of the day, it all stops and ends with Jesus. It begs this question, at the end of the day, does your hope rest in Jesus? At the end of the day, does your hope rest in Jesus? In the first two services today, In each of the services, we've had someone pray to receive Christ for the very first time. Is there any better moment than right now to realize it's what truly matters in this world? Maybe that's for you today as well. Look at what happens in the next set of verses. Genesis 47, verses 23 through 26. 
Verse 23, again, uh, after it says they didn't sell the, the land of the priest, your soul still belongs to Almighty God. That's between you and him. Look at verse 23. It says, so Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed so that you can plant it in the ground. Now look at this. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. Underline, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. And the other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your household and your children. Stop right there for just a minute. What Joseph has done here is revolutionary for thousands of years ago. Joseph has just come up with the idea for an income tax. Now, at this point, some of you are like, thanks a lot. I'd like to have a word with Joseph, all right? Okay, just for the record. It's in comparison to complete servitude. In the same way we talked about last week, he says, Pharaoh owns your oxen, but we're not going to repossess them. He says, Pharaoh owns your land, but we're not going to repossess it. He says in the same way, you are now enslaved to Pharaoh, but here is seed, four-fifths of it still belongs to you, and 20% of it you got to send in to Pharaoh. He's the one who's going to have control of that fifth. If those people at this point are listening to it, they're like, whoa, you just came up with an idea that has stemmed the revolt. We are not going to storm the castle. We're not going to storm Pharaoh's palace at this point. That's a plan we can get behind. And they go, and guess what? We're going to get to live. Look at what happens next in verse 25. They say to him, you have saved our lives. Circle, highlight, and underline. You have saved our lives. They have just become indentured. They've just become slaves to Pharaoh. They've just lost everything. And the cry of their heart is, we still have our lives, they said. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established a law concerning the land of Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh. Stop right there for just a minute. Don't miss this. When all seems lost, what still remains number one is eternity and number two is your life your life still remains as long as there is breath in your lungs and life in your body it is a good day ladies and gentlemen it is a good day we live in such a perverse culture right now that there's this belief that if you don't have a certain amount of money or if you don't have a certain type of life or if you don't have the certain uh, uh, certain uh, uh, things that happen for you that man your life is not worth living and there's a tv show on netflix now called 13 reasons why there is no reason to take your life it's the greatest gift that god could ever give you and the goal of the devil to lie straight from the pits of hell is that your life is expendable. If there is breath in your lungs, if there is life in your bones, it's the greatest gift that God could give you. The devil's goal is to get you to devalue it so greatly that you would think there is a reason to justify just letting it all go. I want to share good news with you today. If there's breath in your lungs, if there's life in your body, God makes good things. He can still do good in and through your life. There was a skit that every youth group in America did for a time. And it was called the Everything Skit. I think Life Church was the first church to come up with it. But it was this skit, you can go and watch it online, it was years ago. But it was this skit that started off with a young woman in a relationship with Jesus, and the skit is the two of them dancing together, and they're in step. It's symbolic of fellowship with Almighty God. And they're together, and they're in step, and then all of a sudden, the young woman gets pulled away from Jesus. She gets into a relationship, 
And then all of a sudden, where she was in step with Jesus, she embraces this new relationship, but the relationship seems to turn toxic. And then all of a sudden, another figure comes up and starts to dangle money in front of the young woman. And she begins to run after the money and chase after it. And the character gives her the money at one point, but then snatches it out of her hand in the next. And then all of a sudden, a very slender woman walks by, symbolic of body image. And she sees the young woman and wants to be like her. And so she begins to try to look like that body image and follows it around piece by piece and bit by bit. And then that's when the enemy shows up. Someone dressed like death comes in and hands her a knife because you can never have, the right, have a right enough relationship. You can never, uh, again, make enough money. And you can never uh, have your body look as good as it does in the magazine. All that airbrushing stuff is fake. And so all of a sudden, death hands her a knife, and she begins to mutilate that body, that gift that God had given her. And then death takes the knife away and replaces it with a gun. And she starts by pointing the gun to defend herself from the world, but then death takes the gun and turns it so that she is now pointing the gun at herself. That is the goal of the devil, is that you would take your life. And you watch it. She shakes. It's graphic. She shakes holding the gun. And then all of a sudden you watch it. It's so beautiful. She decides she doesn't want to live that way. She wants to be with Jesus again. So she takes the gun and casts it to the ground. But all that sin begins to hold her back. And you watch it as the song plays. The character of Jesus starts to pull at her, pulling to her, come to me, come to me, draw near to me, draw near to me. And you watch it. She's trying, but all the sin, all the pain of the world is holding her back. And he draws her and draws her. And then finally it comes to a head. The song begins to change and Jesus jumps out in front of the sin. She falls to her knees and he holds it back and you watch it, all that sin coming over his back, trying to get to her. But Jesus took our place so that we could find freedom. And you watch it. He casts the sin down. He lifts her up. And all of a sudden they are in step and in fellowship once again. I'm extra emotional about this because on Friday, about an hour after that joyous moment of my kids being baptized. We got word that a young man, I was a youth minister in the Dallas, Texas area. I mean, this was 14 years ago. There was a young man, 14 years old in our youth group. He always struggled with darkness, and we got word that he took his own life on Friday. He struggled with darkness for years. And the lie of the enemy is that life doesn't matter. It's the great gift that God can give us. Forgiveness in Jesus are the greatest gift, but life, next to that, life is the greatest gift God could give you. There's some of you in this room that need to remember that, that the sun is shining, there is breath in your lungs, life in your bones. Does it get any better than that? God has given us this day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. On the other side, There are some of you that do not value the lives of those around you, and that is sinful as well. If God has given it life, it can be good. Let me say that again. If God has given it life, it can be good, and we are called in the name Jesus Christ to value that life. It begs the question, or excuse me, begs the statement, the goal of the enemy is that you would devalue and ultimately forfeit God's gift 
his precious gift of life. The goal of the enemy is that you would devalue and ultimately forfeit God's precious gift of life. And then it begs the question, have you gotten or have you forgotten how great it is to be alive? Have you forgotten how great it is to be alive? Do you ever watch the videos or see the pictures from the Great Depression era when the stock market plummeted and the pictures of the people jumping out the windows, the men and women jumping out the windows because life was going to be different after that moment? If there is still time on the clock, there's time for God to do good. We have to trust him even when the culture says there is no hope. We are not like those, Scripture says, who have no hope. Let's look at our last verse, and we'll close today. This is Genesis chapter 47, verse 27. Now, just for the record, if you didn't think it was weird enough already, it's about to get even weirder, okay? They've lost everything. They've lost their stuff. They've they lost their money. They've lost their stuff. They've lost the very ground they stand on. They've lost their own bodies to Pharaoh. And what happens? They start off by going, well, at least we got our soul. At least we have our lives. At least we get to breathe the free air and our children get to breathe the free air one day. And then now look at this verse 27. It says, now, underline now, the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there. Look at this. And they were fruitful and greatly increased in number. Stop right there for just a minute. It took a worldwide pandemic for the Lord to fulfill the promise to Abraham that they would be a great nation. Do you know why? Because they weren't chasing after money. They weren't chasing after stuff. They weren't chasing after relationships. They weren't even chasing after more land and property. Guess what they had? They had each other. They had their family at this point. If you're taking notes, what remains when all seems lost? Number one, eternity. Number two, life. And number three, family. Family remains. How many of you through this pandemic have had a greater connection with those that you truly love around you? Those relationships that were strained and in many cases so far out, we have them so close now, you realize that it's something that truly matters. This is kind of a weird statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. This city, this city, I think, devalues children more than any city I've ever lived in. It's really bizarre. It's truly bizarre. I don't know how many times I hear people say, I just don't like kids. Now, can I tell you a secret? I don't really like kids either, all right? (laughs) I like my own, you know? But here's the deal. The future belongs to children. You realize that, don't you? They're the ones we're going to hand this world off to. At some point, you will die. And it's not going to be about you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Children are always a blessing, and the future belongs to them. Children are always a blessing, and the future belongs to them. The present for the people of Israel in this passage is brutal. But the future is very, very promising if they will value that coming generation. Now listen to me. It doesn't mean, for me personally, if I get the choice between spending time with an adult or a kid, I'm probably going to choose the adult. But I see the value in spending time with the future generation. For some of you, that means that a bottom line doesn't need to be the reason that you decide whether or not you have children. It also means 
that you need to decide that just because you are somebody that doesn't like kids, that you will value the next generation and do what you can to disciple and push them forward so that they have a better world than we started with. Amen? We've got to value the next generation. It begs the question, how sizable is your investment in the future? How sizable is your investment in the future? When we pour into family, it reminds us what all the struggle is really about. Eternity, life, that amazing gift that God has given us, and family, the people that God has connected us to. Heard a beautiful story this week. Have any of you heard the story of Mary and Steve McDaniel? Any of you heard that story this week, Mary and Steve McDaniel? Oh, they give you something to Google when you go home, all right? This is a story that broke, I think, yesterday or the day before. So Steve McDaniel, man in Florida, struggling with Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. He's in his 60s. His wife is Mary McDaniel. It's a beautiful story. So they've been separated because of the coronavirus for the last four months. And for any of you who've had a relative, both my wife and I have a grandfather, each of us, that passed away from Alzheimer's. And you watch it. They lose ground so quickly, but when they're alone, they lose ground even faster because they don't have people around them uh, as, as kind of a, a, those mile marker points for them that they can get back to. And so because of the coronavirus, this man is isolated and alone in the nursing home. And it started off where Mary was going to see him at the window, but again, it just was whittling away very, very quickly uh, at, uh, at his memory. And so um, Mary, like keyboard cat, is in a hopeless scenario. It's her life. It's the man that she loves. And Mary, told by the nursing home that she cannot go in to visit him until the virus restrictions have been lifted, like so many others in nursing homes right now. But Mary finds a way to win. Mary shows up one day at the nursing home with a job application and says, I'd like to volunteer, or I'd like to, I'd like to interview for the dishwasher position here at the nursing home. They looked at her and said, you're going to have to jump through all these hoops and do this different stuff. And she goes, yep, and I'll work as often as you want me to work. She gets a job as a dishwasher at the nursing home. And after her shift, she's already gone through all the security stuff. And so she's able to be there with her husband. It was like five, six days a week she's able to be there. They showed a picture of her, and she's washing dishes. She's the happiest-looking dishwasher I've ever seen in my entire life. And you watch it. Why is she so happy? Because she knows what she's working for. She knows the reason. It's not about the paycheck. It's certainly not about the fame. And it's certainly not about the power and position. Why is she enduring that job when she's in an age where she could be retired? She's enduring it because she loves her husband. Because she wants to be with him. And the way that the interview ended, she said, when he sees me, he knows my name. And I can see the acknowledgement in his eyes. And she said, I don't want to miss a moment that I could have with him. What really matters to you today are you still pining away for that corporate ladder you were hoping to climb? Are you still pining away for that chiseling of your name on some stone monument in this city? Are you pining away for some number in your bank account? For some relationship that you hoped was going to come together? Listen to me. It's all going to burn. You realize that, don't you? It's all going to burn. What really matters is eternity. Is that life that God has given us and family, those people that God has connected you to, those real relationships that stand the test of time. 
I love you guys. I hope this was encouraging to you today. What remains? Those are good things, so much so that the people in this passage in the middle of a pandemic could still rejoice. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, in the first two services, we've had a person in each service that said, this is my moment and I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to focus on eternity right now. And for the very first time in my whole life, I need to believe in Jesus. I need to truly trust in him for the forgiveness of my sin. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. It's the very first time I need to believe in Jesus and be saved. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. If that was you, I want to encourage you. Pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive my sin and make me like you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive my sin. Make me like you. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time today, I just want to invite you to come by and tell me when the service is over that you've made that decision. Scripture says that we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. Complete the process by letting me know you made that decision today. It's the most important you'll ever make in your whole life. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I forgot how amazing it is to be alive. That if there's breath in my lungs, if there's life in my bones, that there is still time for God to do something good. With nobody looking around but just me, remember the enemy wants you to come to a point where you consider taking your life. There is never a circumstance when we shouldn't rejoice that we have breath in our lungs and life in our bones. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray for me because I had forgotten how great it is to be alive, but I am receiving that truth today. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. That takes great courage. I appreciate you praying that. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is very simple. Just say, God, thank you for today. It's the reason I start all my prayers that way. God, thank you for today. It is good to be alive. And then I feel led to say this also. With nobody looking around but just me, and I mean nobody. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I valued my own life, but I need to confess my sin today that I have not valued the lives of others like I should. Maybe because of the color of their skin. Maybe because of their age. Maybe because of their income level. But you would say, Zach, pray for me. I don't want anybody looking on this one. If you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I'm confessing my sin today that I have not valued the lives of others like I should have. 
If that's you, if you would just lift your hand right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. That took a lot of courage. I'm going to pray for you, but if that was you, just pray this simple prayer. God, open my eyes to see what you see. God, open my eyes to see what you see. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would value the future generation like I should? That when I see children, I would see them as the future, as something I can empower, someone I can teach. When I see children, I would see them as a blessing always and not just as something that's a drain. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would start investing in that future generation. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. That takes guts. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer again is very simple. Pray, God, help me to impart wisdom to the future generation. God, help me impart wisdom to the future generation. And then one day, when you get to have children yourself, if the Lord allows you that great blessing, that you will not see them as a bottom line, but all as a blessing from Almighty God. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, thank you that in the midst of great darkness, in the midst of great difficulty, in the story of Joseph, we see how you can do so much good. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, as we see what remains, eternity, life, and family, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would value those things just like the ancients did. And Lord, we thank you that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us on the cross cannot be taken away from us. Lord, we also acknowledge today if there is breath in our lungs, if there is life in our bones, that God, there is still time for you to do good things. Lord, I pray silence the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. Silence his lies straight from the pits of hell that life is not worth living. Lord, with breath in our lungs, with life in our bones, there is still good that can be done. Help us to remember that this week. And God, for those valuing that next generation, I pray that you would give them opportunities to pour into the young folks. And Lord, I can't wait to see the things you have in store. As far as we run, I pray that they would run even further for your name and your kingdom. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.